All right, so um, hello, Super Science Happy Hour fans. This is Matt Johnson coming at you with a mouthful of Timbits. This is Matt Krauss. Uh, we're doing a special episode. Uh, Matt Johnson is visiting me, and we're live from my kitchen table in Montreal, Canada. It's very exciting and very delicious. We're enjoying some of the finest foods uh, Canada has to offer here. Namely, Oreo donuts, regular Timbits, watermelon soda, and last night, poutine. All of which very delicious and very fattening. Uh, so yeah, we're happy to bring you another episode here. Uh, we are both talking into the same microphone, just like John and Paul did back in the day, so hopefully that'll sound all right. Okay, Ringo. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we just jump right into the uh, topics? Sure. Do you want to lead us off? Maybe I do. Let's see here. So maybe let's start off with a couple of quick things. Well, we'll hopefully be quick things, and then... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this may delay my re-entry back into the U.S. at the end of this weekend. So maybe this, we'll start with this article, which is kind of cool, but I think is pretty quick. In materials science, a science that we don't talk too much about, this is kind of cool. There is a new substance that's been invented called Vantablack. So you haven't, you haven't heard oh, of this. Oh, I have seen this. Right? It's basically, um, it's cool because it's, it's really black. In fact, how, how much more black could it be? None. None more black. Wait, I thought it was... Well, that's, that's just a... Spinal Tap reference. Right. Right, right. That's all right. Uh, that's really like 90% of the reason I wanted to talk about this was just to refer to that because I rewatched Spinal Tap recently. Yeah, it's just a super, super black material. It absorbs... Well, it's made of a um, tightly woven thatch of carbon nanotubes, and it absorbs... I remember seeing it. Well, it's 99 point some ludicrous number, right? Right. It's it's it's. A, I recall it's about as black as Dove Soap is pure, but now I actually can't find uh, the exact number for how... Sure it is, but yeah, it's, um... Did you know the Dove Soap thing is, they just made up a number because no one would believe 100% pure? I didn't actually know. Well, also, what is it pure Well, exactly. Of? It's, but, it's all soap. Well, I guess, you know, there's no, like, I don't know, fillers or anything. Well, but, but, but what is impure in soap terms? You could add, like, something that's not cleaning, you know, like sawdust or something. They used to do I, that back in the day. They added all sorts of horrible well, things to sure, milk. Sure, and... but, but soap has multiple ingredients. Right. To make it well, that's why it's like... soapier... But also, like, to have the right consistency and to fizz up the right amount and so forth. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's why he added the 99 and whatever percent pure. Because he's like, if I say it's the purest soap ever, no one will buy it. But look, it's pure. It's, we're, we're trying. Yeah. We're almost there. Maybe in a year or two we'll get another, uh, another 0.01% pure. Oh, so, yeah, this is, the, this is the actual Guardian article that lists the t- statistics. It absorbs all but 0.035% of light. Which is a, beating the previous record by 0.005%. It was previously 0.04%. So, wait, I've, I haven't looked at this in a while, but my memory is that it has like a sort of like tubes that shoot off the surface, right? And then those just sort of, the photons can't get out. I is that a fair summary? I think that's the idea. There's a little... Um... So it's like almost like there's like a, those spirally pastas like coming out of the thing. Yeah, let's play this video maybe without sound, as we're sitting here without headphones on, because we don't need headphones this time to... Hey, that guy looks kind of like Rob Reiner, who directed Spinal Tap. So this is a video that I think ostensibly will have some microscopy images of the Vantablack. But we have to sit through an ad for PayPal first. Boo, PayPal. Unless you want to sponsor us. Yes. I love it whenever I need an extra step in between me and another person to send money. Yeah, we've got like some what look like some microscopy images. Not that helpful. Yeah, so it does. It has like tubules that sort of 
Don't let yeah. the food hounds out. Okay, this is a video of a man reading a brochure. He looks sort of like Ken Jennings from Jeopardy. Maybe it is Ken Jennings. I doubt that. Ken Jennings, actually, fun fact. Pretty funny guy, actually, on Twitter. I don't know if uh, any of you out there follow him. but He, he also does a wait, news... we are recording, right? <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> he also does a news quiz for Slate. That's, that's pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that this week. Okay, this video is totally uninformative. Yeah. Okay, anyway. there we go. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, so it has these long tubuly things. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it traps a lot of light. Anyway, we I mainly wanted to talk about it from the... Uh, did the article say on um, that point of view, but why we would want black things? Yeah, I am not super. It's probably one of those things that someone has a use for something that absorbs all the light. See, I don't think it, so. It says military aircraft and other machines covered in Vanta black, but no, that wouldn't work, right? That's why ninjas wore dark blue instead of black. Then you just see it. If you saw it like a tank-shaped hole, I think right, it'd yeah, because nothing in nature is as black as the blackest material. That exists. Yeah. Maybe for like camera um, calibrating or well, something like said, that. Well, they said, for example, like, you know, coding things that need to be super dark, like, like light isolated rooms and things like that. Oh, that's true. And like the inside of lenses is usually coded yeah. in the blackest thing that. So that's what they, what they said there. So that, that makes sense. You don't want that, like, blurring your sensor with, um, okay. with reflections. Yeah. I don't think this would ever show up on the outside of a plane, though. I think that's just uh, no. foolish. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess we'll Who's all. Who's this be... random woman at the bottom? That is a U.S. fashion editor. <laughs> I guess this is literally the new black. This is the woman who coined the term, like, something is the new black. But this is literally the newest black there is, actually. Oh, but she did not coin it. It's Oh, erroneously. Sorry. I just erroneously <laughs> read that caption. She described pink as the navy blue of India, which is also weird. I have no idea what that means. Isn't, um, what color is India ink? That's black. Black. Though, right. Okay. I guess there is no Indian blue. And carbon black is also and does the Indian Navy even wear blue? I don't know. This is not science, but... Super PR. Do they have a Navy? I'm sure they do. They have an ocean. They have a whole ocean all to themselves. You'd be surprised, though. Looks They're like they white. have dress whites or blacks, mostly. So, Or camouflage for the tropical ocean. Yeah. Well, sometimes, you know, your ocean You're like is... lying in a thing of kelp? I don't know. Anywho... So this is the new black. It is slightly blacker than the old black. And presumably, once they have gone this black, they'll never go back. Exactly. Anything else on the black stuff? No. All right. Excellent podcasting efficiency. Shall we go on to topic numero dos of some sort? Sure. Should I do one? Sure, why not? So this is actually a tip courtesy of uh, Pierre from Cornelia's Lab. And uh, he told me about this cool article about the awesomely named Superb Fairy Wren. I don't know how they name birds, but birds always have these weird adjectives in front, right? It's like the greater turn or yeah. the lesser turn that yeah. one loves. This one is apparently superb. I it's, feel like... It's both that, superb and a fairy. It's well, not just a wren. Yeah. Like, superb is one step away from fantabulous, I feel like, but... There is something a little passive-aggressive about superb. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's oh. superb. So anyway, this wren is both amazing and really stupid, which is going to be the sort of theme of our animal-related items this week. So, like birds, the fairy wren lays its eggs, and other birds occasionally, like a, I think it's the cuckoo bird, lays its eggs in the same nest, right? So the, the cuckoo mom... Right, I mean, the cuckoo birds take over other... Or not take over. Do they take? Do they get rid of the other birds' eggs? Do they steal the nest, or do they just co-occupy the nest? I actually No, they, like, that. lay the egg in the nest, and they let the, the other mama bird take care of their 
young. Right, but they so, don't get rid of the other... Sometimes they, like, kick the eggs, eggs out. Okay. You know, to make room. So th- this sucks if you're a fairy wren, because, you know, you want to raise your own offspring and not some random cuckoo bird. So the fairy wren has, has uh, developed this really weird countermeasure. Apparently it is too stupid to tell its own chicks from the cuckoo bird chicks. So the females teach teach their offspring, like, a password... So okay. it learns to like sing a, like, like a, a shibboleth, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So it learns to sing the specific melody, and then it incorporates that melody into its, uh, like, feeding cry. Yeah. And so only the things that make the appropriate uh, shibboleth. That, that, that makes sense, sort of. But get fed. This seems like a very complicated solution to a simpler problem, which would just be learn to recognize your own offspring. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Or by, by vision, by surely they must smell different or something. They must look different, that... right? One is going to look like a cuckoo bird. Well, I don't know how much does a, a superb fairy wren look like a cuckoo bird. I could not tell you. Okay, but there's two even crazier things. Yes. So, number one is that... Uh, so, this comes at a cost, right? So, you're like... If your offspring are constantly screaming this feed me password at you, it's easy for predators to find them and eat them. Yes. So, uh, according to this, this random paper, there's eightfold more predation when they're making the calls a lot, which is not good for the fairy wren. Right. But the weirder thing is they learn this while they're still embryos. So before it's actually like its own living oh. animal, it picks up this song like in the, in the egg. Right, right. Which is crazy, right? You don't well, think of learning happening when you're... Well, yes and no, right? There's all that stuff. So I, this reminded me of my friend Danielle who recently had a uh, child. Congratulations. And congratulations, Danielle, if you're listening. You know, but she was saying that she had been playing, I think, podcasts and things like that. Not our podcast, I, I don't believe. We're corrupting but... unborn youth now? No, not us. Yes. Although... But, but she had said that she had been listening to certain other podcasts while pregnant and that the baby did seem, I mean, this is anecdotal, of course, but the baby did seem to respond positively, like once out of the womb to the, the podcast hosts voices that, you know, had been heard. I mean, there's all this stuff, right? About maybe babies in the womb can pick up sounds of, I think that is probably, I think it's mostly debunked. I've actually not looked at this recently. I believe I've heard that like most of you hear ocean noises inside the womb, if anything, but. Yeah, that's weird. A little something there about picking up uh, human voice patterns. But because babies are born, uh, you know, sensitive to all the different phonemes, right? Not just right. the ones that the mom and dad speak. So, Oops, well, I don't know. The room. I mean, I don't remember because I was a baby. Uh, yes, I, I remember very little about life in the room. Ah, so I remember that I remember seeing a paper at least a couple years ago about this. Yeah, in two thousand nine, there was a okay. So it's it's sort of similar. A something about how. Babies might. Oh, yeah, this is a real paper, by which I mean in a real journal. Current biology. Yeah, very good journal. That suggests that babies might begin to pick up a little bit of human language sound stuff in the womb. And we're frantically trying to quickly read this. Okay, so they pick up the sort of characteristic melody of French and/or German. Yeah. Well. All right, so maybe this is not as crazy as I thought. I mean, yeah, honestly... So they, they looked at babies born in a French and German-speaking families, and the uh, the German-speaking babies I were... surrender! <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was going for. The Apparently, the French-speaking babies tend to frequently surrender to the German-speaking babies, even uh, as newborns. Well, actually, now that you mention it, though, an egg would be a much better environment for this, right? Because there's no heartbeat. You're just sitting in your little shell. Yeah, and I, having, I've never lived in an egg, but I have to assume that it conducts sound better than, like, a human body and a sack of fluid. I mean, I guess you're living in a sack of fluid, but... Yeah, but the, like, the fluid sack has of a heartbeat, fluid. and it's sloshing around, Yeah, and you're kicking in the fluid. Yeah, I think you're insulated by a lot less as a, um, as a bird than you are as a human baby. 
Okay, cool. Well, anyway, I thought this was neat because you generally think of learning as something that happens, you know, like when you're like once you're born. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, yeah, I think there's some intra intro boom learning. Well, do you know about the C. elegans thing with memories? I can't remember exactly how this works. There's something like if you chopped up this, you train the C. elegans, and then you feed them to other C. elegans. This is something that I thought this was like a uh, also an elementary school. I remember there was a thing about like if you taught earthworms to run a maze and then chopped them up and fed them to other earthworms that supposedly yeah. made earthworms, and that is not true. No, I but swear I... there was some sort of. I mean, we were talking about this on the bus yesterday. The people, there are some, how should we say, controversial theories? Well. That posit learning can happen, like, some would use the word crazy pants. Well, there is a weird, like, renaissance of um, what's called Lamarckian evolution, right? Where offspring oh, re- yeah. inherit traits. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly Lamarckian evolution. Wait, Lamarck was the one who thought the giraffes, like, sl- slowly stretched their necks out, right? Well, and the, the idea was that babies can inherit actual characteristics that their parents you know that their parents like either learned or adapted to or something that you know the parent adapted to in its lifespan would be passed on to the child and then for a while that was poo-pooed completely as like well all that you get is your dna and so forth and of course now it's looking there's there are various papers well, all coming about out suggest- genetic stuff right where you methylate right. the dna that's there right so you you change basically the the DNA that is likely to be passed on to your offspring, plus like any changes that might happen maternally speaking in the womb has, can have epigenetic effects as well. So there's, okay. there's a bit of, it's not real Lamarckian evolution in that you take calculus and you make your baby, your baby knows calculus at birth, but it, there are ways that the events you experience in your life can impact your offspring in a non truly genetic way or, in a genetic way, but in, in, in a way that is not exactly just by share, taking half the genes you had at birth, right? Hmm. All right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I haven't, I'm not up to date on exactly the no, stuff. No, th- there's but I lots think, of stuff, right? There's yeah. uh, something about, like, was it poor or stressed parents? You know, it affects the, the offspring. Right, the, like the quality of your sperm and eggs, I think, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I'd just like to interject here that uh, I have Google image searched and cuckoo birds look nothing like superb fairy wrens. And thus, I conclude that you would have to be pretty stupid to not be able to tell the difference between the two. Wow. Yeah, they're not at all similar. Also, don't you just have to wait an hour and see whether the, they chime the time cuckoo. at the right time? Yeah. So did you have one more thing about... No, no, I'm I, ready I, to move on. I see dogs in spacesuits. Oh, it's even better than that. Oh, okay. Shall I tell you about yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead with that. So uh, this is just a sort of blind, stupid item. But uh, Russia apparently recently lost a satellite full of lizards having sex. And we have just been informed, literally just an hour ago, or 12 minutes ago, that Russia has regained control of the lizard sex space satellite. Thank you, Gizmodo. Thank God. They were doing some sort of microgravity experiment with a bunch of geckos. And uh, it looks like... <laughs> something went wrong, but now something has gone right. Sorry, I just absolutely had to click on the headline. Because, yeah, well, it has space dogs. Yeah, which are not lost in space. Oh, they have little gecko collars. Aw. This is a completely random aside, but that just reminded me of the best mohawk uh, I have seen recently, which I have pulled up on my laptop screen. That's which amazing. Is, which is a guy with a mohawk that looks like an iguana lying on his head. I will post pictures of that. That needs to go notes. on the show notes. Yep. Okay, so shall we move on to sure. the longer topic? So maybe we'll go to the um, the sort of longer topic for today. Does that sound good? Which kind of goes off of the bird topic. Yeah, so we're going to continue on the animal theme. Yeah, we have like a lot of animal-related stuff to talk about, which is 
I, we like animals. We are pro-animal for the most part. Do we want to go with the smart animals first, I guess? Sure. Well, I'll pull up this one because we have the link. If you would. So we have a couple of stories about uh, non-human primates and also a story or two about crows. If you want to, you've got that one pulled up. I got there, that one too. ready to go. Awesome. So this is kind of an interesting, this is something I like to think about from time to time anyway. You know, we as humans tend to think we are the most intelligent of the species on this planet. I mean, we have iPhones, which dolphins do not have, and we have... I think dolphins may actually have the same flip phone I do. Well, yeah, yeah that may be true. <laughs> it doesn't mean a lot Flipper of high pitch. <laughs> yes, but we, uh, you know, we have many things that chimps and dolphins and so forth do not have, and thus we proclaim ourselves to be the smartest. But... To steal from Douglas Adams, dolphins think they're the smartest precisely because they don't have any of those. Well, exactly. And I am often a fan of the of the claim that one reason we've done so much as humans that makes us think we are quote-unquote smart is that we have language to share ideas with, which is, I mean, it takes a certain amount of like mental complexity to speak language. But even our less, even the less smart among us still speak the complete, well, more or less the, the Queen's English, right? Me talk pretty. <laughs> yes. And the fact that we have like big brains, which lets us store a lot of memory, right? Okay, sure, I'll, so, I'll buy that. But but the question, I think, is whether, in terms of pure reasoning ability or fluid intelligence, that is... So th there's two kinds of intelligence, right? Or, I mean... There's Only two? Of, well, there's like... <laughs> there are... Okay, Charles Murray over I, here. IQ-type intelligence is typically classified into fluid and crystallized intelligence, right? So fluid intelligence being, like, on-the-spot reasoning ability and, you know, not thought to change much during the lifespan, and crystallized intelligence reflecting more like stuff you've memorized ac accumulated and, like knowledge, skills. But, but also in, it, it's tricky to like encapsulate but it's also intelligence in a way in the sense that like if you are if you have more fluid intelligence you're also likely to accumulate more information over your lifespan so something like a vocabulary test is a, is a component of many iq tests because while it doesn't seem to test reasoning ability per se it is true that people with high reasoning ability tend to pick up more vocabulary over their lifespans and thus it actually is a good predictor of intelligence, even if it is not itself pure reasoning. Does that make sense? Yeah, in a sort of painfully circular way. But yeah, that yeah. does make sense. But, but it is included as part of an IQ test because it is a good predictor of sort of general intelligence. But anyway, you've got your fluid intelligence and your crystallized intelligence. But the question I think is like, are humans really that... How smart are we compared to other animals when you kind of take away... The ability to explain things using language, which is kind of a crystallized intelligence type type of thing, and just test our pure reasoning abilities in a non-linguistic way that also does not depend on world knowledge that was probably communicated to you via language, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this is part of, like, I'm sure, you know, we I do human research and you do monkey research, and I'm sure it would be... Nice, you know, it takes how long to train a monkey to do a basic task? Oh, God. I don't even want to think about it. Months. But a long time. Years. Right. Yeah. Where it would take a human like two minutes to be like, hey, you look at this dot on the screen. This other dot on the screen is going to come up. And every time you see that other dot come up, you press a button. Oh, yeah. This can. is why we pilot everything in people, right? Hand someone a post-it note and right. get data in 20 minutes. But I think it's, a, it's an open question as to like if you were dropped into a, if you, if you kidnapped a human being and drugged them. I'm not saying I've done this or plan to do this, but let's see you do I am it. not eating any more of these Tim <laughs> Excellent. If you, if you kidnapped and drugged a human being and they woke up in like a test chamber with just a screen on the wall and no language and a sort of obtuse system of rewards or punishments, 
you know, how long would it take them to train them to do a task that could be explained in like a paragraph, right? I mean, probably so, probably faster than a monkey. I have tried this. Well, not with the kidnapping and drugging. But uh, we took a colleague and we sat him down in our our monkey room. And all we told him was, if you push this at the right time, you get juice, which is something the monkeys sort of learn pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, it took him like 20... It took him a while. But he had the benefit of knowing like... Well, sort of the context. He has been in. using computers his whole life. He knows well, no, we what had him, research we just gave him the monkey bar. Right, but you but, know what I mean. He, right, he, knows he still about knows the world in a way that monkeys don't. Right, and he can... Yes. All right, that's fair. And he knows what research is and like what the point of things might be and the kinds of things he might be asked to do and so forth. Right? And to be fair, the entire task was touch the button when the first thing... Uh, when something matches the first thing you saw. Right. Uh, so, yeah, not a, not a hard task, but definitely much easier... To explain with words and so forth. So if you kind that's of extrapolate so that's like that out, a twenty to twenty minutes to learn a task I just described in like three seconds. Yeah. All right. That's right. about right. So anyway, the, the the point being, like you know, you every every once in a while see a study that tries to do this, like oh, a dolphin is about as smart as a six year old or whatever. But there are a couple of studies that have come out recently looking at things that where animals are actually better than humans at at things that you can train an animal to do. So for example, chimpanzees. This is in Japan. Oh, is this the number thing? Well, yeah. So the the task that the chimpanzee had to do was the numbers one through nine would appear randomly on a screen and then disappear. And the chimpanzee was able to recall the exact sequence and location of each number. And this is something that, uh, as the researcher named uh, Matsuzawa says to a room of scientists and journalists, this is on LiveScience.com. Don't worry, nobody can do it, Matsuzawa said. It's impossible for you. And yeah, so, so you know, this is a case where at least this particular chimp can do a working memory test that humans can't really do. I mean, I, most human beings are typically have a limit of about four to five items in, in working memory. Wait, wait, no, I thought it was seven. Plus or minus three. You're just baiting me now, right? Maybe. This, <laughs> this, uh, this is a whole field of research. There, there was an old article back in the 50s that talked about the magical number seven, plus or minus. I think it was plus or minus two. No, it was three, because that's why your telephone number is uh, three plus three digit area code plus seven you know, I'm going to totally... Nah. That's Wikipedia. I'll edit it right now. No, it's the, it's the magical number seven plus or I, I know what you mean, but it's plus or minus two because that's the range. So like the idea of this uh, paper back in the 50s by George Miller was that most people could recall about seven digits, plus or minus two, meaning like, the range in the human population from the lowest memory people to the highest memory people was between five and nine items. Uh, but yeah, it is. that's why phone numbers are... That's why phone numbers are seven, right? I think area code had to get I mean, it's not, after. I don't think they did that based on that research. No, I'm pretty sure it is. I think seven-digit seven phone numbers were around before. No, because it used to be like Klondike 5 or whatever, remember? That's I, the same thing as seven digits. No, but it's a word. Uh, the, right, but you take the KL from Klondike and you... That's why the telephone... What? That's why telephone keypads have letters on them. I didn't know that. Klondike like... 5 is 555. <laughs> you can't see I, the I jaw to, dropping yeah, here. I need but, to take uh, a picture of Krause's face at this moment. This is I didn't realize that this was not maybe common knowledge. Actually. I thought you just like shouted into the operator. That, that was just a convenient way to encode the three-digit prefix in a slightly more Why don't we still do fashion. that? That's much more fun than 203. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just became unnecessary people. Well, now, of course, it's entirely unnecessary because you just punch however many digits it is, into your mobile phone and save it. Magical number seven, plus or minus. Noah's law. Anyway, the, the, while, while Cross is looking this up, 
so this this review article is actually a very well written review of uh, various findings that seem to indicate that people had a memory span of about seven items, plus or minus two depending on the person. And he cited all these reasons for this and so forth. And it is true that if I give you seven digits to recall, you'll generally be able to do it. But the catch of that is that that's not exactly how it works. So you want to elaborate or you... Well, so, so isn't part of the problem that it's it's actually the length of the, the numbers, if you use numbers? So I remember... actually well, numbers are a particularly first... bad case for several different reasons. Because they're different syllable lengths, right? They're different syllable lengths. Of course, in English, we're, we're speaking of. Well, right, because I remember seeing a paper claiming that uh, Chinese, maybe Mandarin speakers, could remember nine digits, which you could make all sorts of racist Asian math jokes. But it turns out to be that every number is a single syllable, right. whereas in an English number, right, you have seven, which is two syllables. Well, one, you know, two, as a side note, three, I, four, five, I, I don't six, know what seven. the current state of this research is, but there was someone... But seven is the only one with two syllables, right? Yeah, if you're talking about only single-digit numbers. So... Does that mean that you could remember more numbers? More numbers if, if they did, did not include, include seven? seven? To, the, to the science room. I mean, that's the logical... Maybe. But, I mean, so, so you know... I don't know if you know this, but I, I saw somebody a few years back who was presenting the claim, and I don't know... Uh, this was an actual Chinese person presenting this, so no racism here. But he was claiming, and I, I find this dubious, but one of his claims was that one of the reason. Chinese people might, if they are better at math, that they might actually be better at math is because of the Chinese language and the way that numbers are expressed in it, which, if I recall correctly, is you pretty much just literally list out the digits in order. So, uh, if, you know, no, instead of it's... saying 4,385, you just say 4385. No, well, I mean, this is based off of half-remembered college Japanese, but you actually, you, well, have, the, you have the bases. That's a different language. These are the same numbers, though. Num or at least the characters are the same. Okay. So you say, like... Uh, so 12 would be like 110.2, which actually might help okay, you too. Yeah, so maybe, you got maybe that's, what it, yeah, that's what it is. So you, you explicitly include the include, blah, encode. You encode the place value. Yeah, explicitly. so the place value is very explicit, right? So it's like 110.2 or like 300. Right. Or three but, 100s. But I think what is true tens. is that, so, you know, the weird thing is that we, in English, like when we say 50 versus 40, right. those it, are distinct words semantically instead opaque. of like five tens and four tens, which would be... Simpler, right? Which uses the same word. Why do we say 50? Well, I mean, it seems like a contraction of like five tens, right? 17. Yeah, five I ten. So. I mean, same with the teens, though, right? But it's, it's kind of ridiculous that you have different words. And like we have different words for 11 and 12. We don't say one teen and two teen. Well, you know the French crazy numbering, right? So you have one yeah. through 10, and then you have the teens, which are weird. And then it's 21, 22. But when you get to 80, it's... Four twenties and whatever. Yeah, like four score and seven so years ago. Is ninety, so that's four twenties plus ten. Yeah. yeah. French, might, French might win the insane. But there's lots of French mathematicians. Maybe because if you can make it through, you're very good at math. <laughs> yeah. If you just can learn your numbers, you actually get a PhD in math in France. Uh, but anyway, all of that. Is, so, so one of the problems with the um, magical number seven, there, there are a couple of different problems. But one of them related to this is the fact that if you are Memorizing information that you can repeat to yourself. So, like, if I give you a phone number to remember, what do you do? Right, you have the if phonological I say, like, loop, Hey, right? my number is, like, 3842786. What do you do to yourself as you're, like, going to... 3842726384. 
right? Right. So you say you like mumble it to yourself until you get Isn't to the telephone. Isn't that called the phonological loop? That's, yeah. So th- this gets into like we I think we talked in an earlier episode about Baddeley's theory of working memory, which is that you have a visuospatial sketch pad, a working what uh, a phonological loop, and then kind of a central resource to manage those two. So yeah, you'd be using your your phonological loop, which is basically like say something and hear it, and then say something and hear it, and then say something and hear it, and then by trading off between saying and hearing you kind of keep the information going in a loop, right? Okay. But the idea of this is that by rehearsing it in this way, what people tend to find is when you look at things in a little bit more refined fashion than they did back in the 50s, that you have about a two-second time span that you can do this in, and that the, I think the Chinese number of digits thing, or part of what explains the Chinese number of digits thing versus the English, and the fact that memory spans can be different for different types of information in different languages and so forth, Depends on how quickly you can say them. So if you can say it all within two seconds, that's about the amount of stuff you can remember. And so the length of the words actually does have some. So that's one problem with this magical number seven idea. Is that so the anything... Micro Machines guy has like a monstrous working memory? Well, maybe. Maybe not. So so the, there's another thing that gets into this though, right? Which kind of, these two things interact in a complex way. You have the etymology of the TY. No, no, keep going. Okay. So the other thing that makes this tricky is chunking. Right, which is not uh, a city in China. It, speaking of oh, wow. Chinese orthography, um, chunking, like to chunk something, which me, which is the other problem with this George Miller finding is that people, so it's the other thing that you do when I give you a phone number to remember, if I say my number is like 206-897-3114, how do you say it to yourself? Yeah, so you... Da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da. Or something like that, right? So, and at least in yeah. North America, that's how our numbers are written, right? A chunk of three, a chunk of three, and a chunk of four. In most countries, they sort of... UK, I remember, has a really weird chunking scheme. I think a lot of them do. Yeah, a lot of them have... But most of them use chunks of three to four uh, digits in some distribution. And maybe a chunk of two somewhere in there. But anyway, the point being that you also tend to chunk information called, I believe, I, this is a word I don't actually know how to pronounce, subitizing, subitizing. Oh, I've seen that word many times. Subitize. Okay, but yes, so, uh, so you chunk it. Right, so the idea is that you, you break the information into chunks, and that you what you can actually remember is three to four chunks of information, as long as those chunks are individually be able to be kind of compressed into manageable units. British subitize, American subitize. From the Latin, subit plus etize. I also don't know if I'm 100% using that word correctly, but I think... Oh, I was... it was made up only for psychology. I've actually seen it in, like, uh, programming stuff, too. Yeah. Where you re- where you sort of... Uh, well, I guess it's the same thing. Where you suddenly see the number, like, very quickly. Right. So, But the point being, like, so you can remember... Maybe if you can remember, like, three to four chunks of three to four items, that actually gives you a span of, like, you know, up to 10 or 12 things, depending on kind of how big the chunks are and how big... How what your capacity is for each chunk size. And, of course, you know there's this complicated interaction with the phonological loop. So both of these are complications for the seven theory. But anyway, the long and the short of it is, if you if you constrain the, the design of the experiment in such a way that you can't articulate, verbally articulate, what the items are, and you cheat and use your phonological loop, if you have to actually hold things in, like, visual memory, then the limit's, like, three or four items. Although, again, that gets complicated. Really? Well, like depending on how complex the items are. Oh, that's true. So you can only remember like one or two really complicated items in really fine detail. This is actually of of great relevance to us because 
we might have some experiments we're working on. Yeah, we actually spent all of yesterday talking about this. Yes, if you're listening, IRS, we spent all of yesterday talking about this on my business trip to Montreal. I wonder if I can deduct these Timbits. I don't see why not. This is a business lunch, right? Sure. Now, of course, for it to be a business lunch, somebody has to pay us for doing this podcast. So uh, <clears throat> get on that, <clears throat> sponsors. Okay. okay. So anyways, back to the chimps. Right. So Before the whole I point, forget what we were talking about. Anyway, so the whole point being, like, humans are not very good at this. And I, I'm not sure, actually, whether it's because cause these items in this study flash up very quickly. So I'm not sure if it's because we are slow to perceive them or... Actually, I don't think it is. I think it's just that the chimp is able to remember the nine digits. Well, so that's actually interesting you mention that because... In my experience, monkeys have a little bit faster reaction times than humans. Yeah. I don't know if this is true for chimps, but that would fit in sort of the two-second window, right? If you can go 30% faster, you should be able to remember 30% more numbers. Could be, yeah. I also right. wonder... So one thing that you may not appreciate if you don't work with animals is that they're often incredibly overtrained before you start collecting data. Right, so this chimp has probably done this, like, literally thousands of days. So, you know, if you walked in the lab and try it once, you're like, oh, it's really hard. It's not clear to me that the monkey would have to be, like, thousands of times smarter than you to pull this off. Right, and that is true. That and This gets into some... So does he give a reason why he thinks chimps would be especially good at this? Um, Imagine, like, yeah. lying in the grass and eating stuff does not require, like, a monstrous short-term memory. Right. I, I think it could be a number of things. See, the article doesn't make any sense. Speculate on it exactly says, why. for chimps, the amazing working memory likely helps animals navigate the branches of huge trees. But that's not working memory. Oh, no, the reasons they give are total crap. I think it's probably something more about just general brain architecture. Okay. And it is true that, like, we, one reason we might not need that much immediate visual information is that we also have this, we might have forsaken some of that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I can write down Right yeah, more we, than nine we've things. We've developed stupid... writing systems. We've developed linguistic systems that let us encode information in different. <laughs> well, yes, as we were saying earlier, this is a very appropriate topic, I think, given that. Uh, have you seen Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? I have not. I got to find this list. I should put it online. Two of my friends made a list of all the movies where the monkeys destroy the, the scientists. Humans. Yeah, I imagine there's actually a fair number. Oh, it was like a two sides of a piece of paper. That's... You know, there's like Project X, hmm. which is I do not irradiate chimps. In order to build better nuclear bombers, just just put that out there. I, I irradiate chimps for fun. <laughs> Definitely not for military reasons. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I could make spec. I think one of the reasons that I don't know if you have a reason that you wait, think there's a that, list of eight amazing non-human primate abilities. Oh, and now we're going into uh, down like the Buzzfeed. Yeah. <laughs> Which non-human primate are you? I'm Bonobo. Oh God! Put it away. All right, say no. That's not true. Monkeys are very good at saying no. Oh, now it's changed to eight human-like behaviors of primates, which includes beg for food. This person has apparently never owned a cat, dog, guinea pig. Yeah, I'm already not like. All right, we're done with this. Yeah. Control W. Point being, I don't know if you have a, a rationale for why the monkey's faster, but I would argue that it's probably, it's got a simpler brain in the architectural sense. So there's probably fewer, fewer way stations of intermediate processing between basic percept and decision in the monkey. I don't know. And that that could lead to a faster decision. Faster, but like less accurate, right? The homology is pretty good, right? It's got about the same brain layout. Part of it might be that the limbs are shorter. That's true. I guess it could take less time because you're measuring it with a motor output. So is it that the neural impulse is faster or just that the muscle twitch is faster? I don't know about saccades. So for eye movements, 
the pathway is pretty similar. Yeah. And it's not like the monkey eye is a third the size of a human eye. I can check that tomorrow. Well, in other words, you could... Let's say we were making up a just-so story. Let's well, you say could also say that the monkey is like... Monkeys are a little more three-dimensional than people. Well, no, no. I'm but, poking Krauss in the arm right now. <laughs> but this this is nearly gotten me in trouble before when, when working with them. So the monkeys, you know, like a, a person basically moves left left to right, like sort of forwards or backwards on the ground. But the monkeys, they're, they're climbers. They'll jump. Yeah, you know, that's they're, true. They're sort of much more arboreal than we are. Yeah. I guess that's sort of true. And that would lead to what? Them having well, to you'd... just make faster visual decisions so they don't fall out of the tree? Yeah, I don't know if it's they're faster because they're arboreal, or maybe they're just sort of used to moving more quickly. Right. But I think... Yeah, I think Dale has gone. Uh, Dale Lee has sort of informally thought, like, yeah, you know, they're they're a little faster, maybe because they're a little dumber. Yeah, they also well, have no sort of appreciation for consequences. Well, yeah, so. I, I think that again, this gets into like more complicated stuff that we actually have some ideas about in in this work that we're doing. Do but I think have... you can trade off complexity for like speed and sheer amount of information, right? The, in other oh, words, yeah. if you have a certain number of bits, you could either encode a small number of complex things. And this is actually one of the big debates in working memory literature is, is working memory limited by like the sheer basic number of objects, like you have a certain number of slots, or is it limited by the amount of information? And there's sort of arguments on both sides. So that's what I was starting to ask before. Right. Do you think, uh, so if I gave you a bunch of things, a bunch of numbers to remember, do you have to reserve that extra space because there could be a seven? I think it's an, it's an open question and it probably depends on... On the task. On cultural. I mean, we can't escape the cultural context. Oh, no, you, you, you personally. Me personally. So you have to have a two-syllable two seven. Uh, so do we think... No, I think probably... Are you saying that I would be able to remember a sequence of, like, eight non-seven digits better than I could remember a sequence of seven digits, one of which was a seven? Yes. I think I probably could, because I think the phonological loop limitation of about two seconds is, is what, about what is actually in the content. Okay, but again, I think there are circumstances. There are probably cases. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. So right, how about this? Oh, maybe we should do this for an experiment. <laughs> so can you remember one dimensional? With us, don't listen to this. Can you remember one dimensional positions better than two? Or do you sort of have uh, to like positions on just? So, so say we have a line, like an x-axis and versus say, x and y. Yeah. So you have a line, and you say put down. Uh, you know, here are like like a number line from elementary school. And like, here are some marks. Can you reproduce them? Then we say, here's a here's like a computer screen. Here are some spots. Can yeah. you reproduce them? That, that reminded me of something, and I don't have a quite enough. I'm putting on my list of things. To there, there, there's definitely ex an experiment where and I, now I can't. I think there have been some visual experiments showing. And I can't remember exactly how this worked. Now that, like, even if you tell, if you show people some complex object with like different features, and tell them only to remember one of the features, that it doesn't help them that like you're no better if you're told like well these things have a a color and a shape but you only have to remember the shape and not the color it, you don't get any better at it than when you have to remember the shape and the color right really? F again i think there are some counter results to this i think that would be very sensitive to how you did the task yeah it, th this is the problem with this field of literature is it's like a minefield of of slightly differing results and rationales for why they're different so we don't want to speculate too much or, or we'll undermine are how well-spoken we appear to be when we actually try to publish some of this stuff. But, yeah, it gets, it gets tricky. But there is at least there are some contexts in which that's the case. That So I don't know if that's true with, like, 1D space versus 2D space. I think we should check but this out. There are certain cases where, like, it does appear that things are represented just as 
objects in space and you can't do much to push around how they're represented as objects in space. Anyway. All right. So, so let's, let's go quickly through this other... Let's, go, let's, talk, let's, talk, let's talk about a dumb animal for a change. Well, uh, do you want to talk about the uh, say, I'll oh. just link straight to this. But this. There's just another recent report in June 2014. This is in the slightly uh, less prestigious journal Scientific Reports that I've never actually heard of. But apparently mm. chimpanzees were also better than humans on simple contests based on game theory. So... Oh, I saw this. It was a little weird. Yeah. So it was about uh, so undergraduate students, West African villagers, and chimpanzees competed in this game. There uh, were Japanese undergrads. Uh, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, Kyoto. Yeah. And yeah, so there's it's a sort of one of these game theory games where there's you and your opponent, and somehow you are trying to kind of get the highest reward for you and not your opponent. But I, I if it's like a typical game theory game, they don't go into details, but probably there's some multi-round thing where if you kind of shaft your opponent on one round they can shaft you on the next round so you have to like achieve a perfect balance of selfishness and uh and non-selfishness so so you you both maximize your rewards essentially Um, but anyway chimps apparently did better at it yeah i was suspicious of this for some reason i think maybe because there's all sorts of like social things that sort of get piled on top of this yeah that's true yeah, it, this is a little like ridiculous. I'm not, you know, totally willing to screw someone over to make like twenty five cents, right? Because says taking another timbit. Yeah, well, that's true, right? Because humans, even if I mean, this is part of the problem with like not all economics, but much economics, and I think this is why like Kahneman and Tversky were such a revolution in economics when they started to bring psychology and flawed reasoning into into decision making economics. Is you know, a lot of economic ideas rest, rest on the idea that people are rational actors and that they're motivated to maximize rewards and so forth. But of course, if you're playing some like game against another person and trying to like maximize your own rewards, maybe you do want the most money, but you also don't want to like run into them in the parking lot afterwards. Yeah, exactly. You kind of just don't model the parking lot scenario. Well, this could be kind of cool. I wonder if they've looked at like dominance among the chimpanzees. Yeah. I'm not sure about that because they definitely have a dominance hierarchy. Yeah. This is something like Rob Sapolsky has probably looked at. Yeah. Anyway, so, next week. The, the the overarching topic being like, I think that there probably are things that our non-human primate brothers are as good at, or even maybe a little bit better at than us. If you, you know, if you can take as much of the cultural context and world knowledge out of it as possible, but it really depends on age, and I assume basic intelligence differs a lot in chimpanzees, just like it does in humans. So you know, there's so many factors; it's really hard to test equally, but. They're not as dumb as we think, I think, sometimes. Oh, yeah. Well, I think this has sort of been true in neuroscience, too, right? Like, people have thought for a long time that rodents are pretty stupid. But you really just have to design the task so it plays to sort of the rodent's strength. Well, and conversely, I think a lot of studying psychology and human neuroscience is realizing how We're not so smart. We're, I mean, We're pretty we, stupid. It's impressive what we can do, but it is true that if you take our... It's not like I discovered how to build an iPhone. I have an iPhone because, like... All of human civilization came together to produce an iPhone. Right? Hey, guys, I'd like one, too, if you guys yeah. could get on that. <laughs> I think they make a few million of them a year, actually. No, no. Lies. But you know what I mean, right? Like, if you... I, I often think of the scenario where, like, you just dump a bunch of fairly bright people, ideally a bunch of fairly bright babies, on, like, a desert island with all the natural resources they would need to build a civilization. How fast, with no knowledge of previous generations learning, could they even could they even survive? You know, no, a bunch of, like, take a bunch of 10-year-olds that even know what civilization is. 
Could, no. could they even, and like what sort of technology would they possibly develop, even if they knew that technology was a, a con- thing? A conch shell. Just yeah. a conch shell. Yeah, I mean, it takes a long time to, yeah. to accumulate knowledge. Uh, it's funny. Because and and we don't like realize that. how much we draw on it, right? To do even what are encapsulated as like basic, what we think of as basic cognitive tasks. So none of us is as smart as all of us, but also none of us is as dumb as all of us. Well, that's certainly <laughs> true. Yes. It's amazing how the average IQ in the room goes down the more people you add to that room, regardless of how smart the people actually are. It's true. So when I was in... Wait, I'm going to go into a different room and see if you get smarter. Hello. I'm super smart. (laughs) Wait, Braintron. Don't take over. All right. All right. Should we talk about another smart animal or a dumb one? Mm, I'm in a tempest. You talk about whatever you want. All right. I'll talk about another smart animal. So we're moving away from the monkeys into my other obsession, which is birds. And so this paper has both an amazing title and a cool result. So, as you may remember from actually like first grade, there's an Aes- there's an Aesop's fable about a crow who wants to get something out of a, a I think it's like a a tube or a jar or something, and so he drops rocks in it and it pushes the water level up. I do not remember this Aesop's fable at all, but okay. Well, the title of this paper is Modifications to the Aesop's Fable Paradigm. Okay, apparently this is a thing. So is this is a thing that floats that the crow wants? Yeah, so... Alright, so there's an old... Well, not old. There's a relatively old experiment where they take a <laughs> tube, and crows eat meat, or a roadkill, but uh, I think it's probably just meat in this case. Yeah. And they put it in a tube, but, you know, it's positioned such that the crow can't actually pick it up with its beak. Mm-hmm. And uh, some kinds of crows are actually smart enough to they'll, they'll go, they'll take some rocks, they'll drop it in, and then that pushes the water level up, which pulls the meat up. I don't know that I would think to do that, actually. Well, that's, that's where this is going. <laughs> or, sorry, maybe the crow just adds the rocks to get the water in the fable. Yeah, I don't remember. But anyway. Anyways. Oh, that that might make more sense. Yeah, so the crow wants a drink rather than make something floating right Wait, does this top. paper actually cite Aesop's fables? Because that would be awesome. Aesop, 500 BC. Or whenever. I don't know when Aesop lived. Aesop was an ancient Greek fabulist. Which I think is... That's a great job. It's a fabulous job title. I mean, if that would not be totally incompatible with scientist on a business card i would put it there what was the name of the bird that we talked about at the beginning the superb fairy uh, wren. well so we've got a fabulous a fabulous fairy fable, fable well no 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 and a the superb fairy wren that's a word that means thwarts but starts with f out foxes <laughs> we Fat, can't say that fabulous. on this podcast it it what's out foxes what are, you, what are we going with here the fabulous oh, we're, we're, are we birds. attempting alliteration yes we are failing fouls up fouls up Fabulous. Foils. Foils. Fabulous. Faux. Ah. Fantastic. Spring. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So in apparently in the fairy tale, it just pushes the water up so it can drink. And then these, these people have shown in 2009 that the bird is actually smart enough to drop rocks in to raise the water level to pick up a reward floating on the top. Right. So in this paper that just came out in uh, PLOS One yesterday. Wow, see, cutting edge news here. It won't be in a month when I finally get around to editing this podcast. <laughs> Moderately dull-edged news here. They found that the birds are actually really smart. So they will drop stones into one tube. They have this apparatus where the two water levels are connected in a sort of non-obvious way. Okay. So the birds will drop. So it's like a U-shaped tube, and the meat is on one side. Uh, but the birds can't drop rocks into that side. Okay. So they'll drop rocks on the other side, and okay. it pushes yeah, the water yeah, level yeah, up yeah. in both tubes. And so this is, as you you can... Well, you can't see it from Johnson's expression. Is like sort of an indirect way of getting at your food. Yes. 
But uh, so crows can figure this out. This new Caledonian, which is I think Australian crow, can figure it out. Okay. Even though it's eight months old. Then they grab some yeah. human. I don't children. think an eight month. <laughs> I think an eight month old child would just going to eat the tube. Or the rocks. It would, like, roll over and poop, and that's about all it would do. I think it would eat the rocks. Yeah. But um, children of up to five to seven years old, who are, you know, you think, like, smart and, like, basically small people at that point. Yeah, they're kind of, you can put them in a tuxedo and... Oh, yeah, they've transitioned from, like, poop machine into... Some of them can juggle. So these children can't figure it out. That's... So so the crow is pretty smart. It's only one crow. So we are glad that crows don't live past a couple of years, because otherwise they would have taken over our civilization as that. Because... Well, you know, they, they have... Not to bring it all back, is they have ludicrously good memories. Yeah, like I read on the internet about this guy who you're going to tell that story from 4chan about how the guy trained two flocks of crows to hate each other. No, no, that's a good one. No, this one was the guy moved to crow's nest, and for like years he would come out, and the crows would just dive bomb him. Well, so actually, I I can't tell if this is a plausible slash real story or not, but this guy claimed that there were like two flocks of crows that lived near him, like near his work. You can probably find this if... Uh, Keep talking. Oh, okay. If we uh, were to do a working memory experiment with this, we could call it Counting Crows. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, write that down. Some Wait. Oh, wait. We're recording all of this. It's okay. Oh, okay. What are the odds the reviewers listen to our podcast and or read our paper? Well, apparently your reviewers don't know who Brad Pitt is. Based yeah, on so we're totally episode. safe. So clearly they're going to recognize our late 90s alternative rock Reference. Oh, okay, according to this Procrow Society B, crows remember the faces of dangerous humans with memories that likely last for the lifetime of the birds, and they will form mobs to scold... <laughs> scold makes it sound like they're like grandmothers. But uh, to threaten the other people that accompany the, the dangerous person. So crows are really smart and kind of dicks. Well, so that makes me... This is not a long story, so I wonder if this is... I doubt that this is a true story. This is on the 4chan slash B... Message board, which is... Oh, God. No, no are we going to go to jail for this? Yeah. No one ever... I, I Fortunately, this is just a screenshot of it. But no one ever go there if you don't go there already, because it is not a source of wisdom and compassion on the internet, I think you could say. <laughs> but uh, it's a very short story, so I could just tell it. So this guy says, uh, where I work, there are thousands of crows that show up every single night. They hang around for like four hours a night, then show up the next night. Was reading upon crows because I was interested. Apparently, they're really smart. They recognize faces and conform preferences in people, depending on how they're treated. So I have an idea. I start trying to uh, anger this group of crows that hang out in the trees near work, throw rocks at them, shake the trees, chase them wherever I can. Meanwhile, the crows across the street, they just kind of chill out by the McDonald's. So every time I go to the McDonald's, I get large fries and feed the crows. So they start to like me while the tree crows really hate me. The tree crows throw nuts and try to poo on me all the time. Johnson is editing this on the fly (laughs) if it's not obvious. I'm boulderizing like a champ. And uh, he says, I keep this up for a few more weeks. I'm noticing a big divide in the crows. The grass crows from McDonald's now follow me across the road to make sure I get back to work safe. The tree crows near work get more aggressive and sit on my building and wait for me to walk out. I now created a great war between two formerly friendly nations. World War Crow commences. I am fueling it with French fries. I don't. That would be so awesome if it were true. I don't think it is, but it sounds like it's not as implausible as... I mean, I feel like you could actually pull that off. They definitely like fries. Yeah, I don't think, I think the least plausible part of that is that the crows would be not not very mobile between those two locations. I don't know, this you know? boss paper makes them sound like very clever well, and very... Well, vin- then again, boss. they are birds of the feather. And but they're flocking separately. Well, each, maybe they're two different feathers. I don't know. Anyway, so maybe. Oh no, it says, uh, okay, so this is from an actual paper. The crows would pursue these scientists, so in this paper, the scientists wore masks... 
And then they harass the crows. <laughs> this is the best method section I've ever read. And the crows would follow them for up to about 100 meters as they walked, reading between the lines here, fled in panic. Yeah. Wow. And they do learn from social cues. All right. I, well, the other point... If I had to guess, I would put this at, like, mildly plausible. Yeah, I don't think it actually happens. I think it could possibly happen in the right circumstances, but... You know about the, the pigeon hack, right? From MIT? No. Oh, this is right up your alley. <laughs> so you know how MIT occasionally does, like, random yeah, shenanigans? Yeah, random at, pranks. At, yeah. At, the Yale, at the Yale Harvard game, specifically. Right, yeah. So according to this, this legend from the 60s, the game was in Cambridge. Yes. And for, like, a month before the game, this guy from MIT would show up to the stadium every morning wearing a black and white striped shirt. <laughs> he would then blow a whistle in the air and throw, <laughs> like, a bird seat up. Right. So the first morning, one or two birds come. Second morning, two or three birds come. <laughs> it progresses. The day of the game, the stadium is now packed. The yeah. announcer announces the people. And the referee comes out of the field in his in black and white striped shirt. Blows, blows a whistle. whistle. Mobbed by pigeons, huh? <laughs> Does this actually happen? or uh, All right. I was not alive then. Speaking of fably things, uh, I would just like to note that Aesop was born in 620 BCE and died in 564 BCE. So I'm going to call that a, a pretty good prediction for my uh, ability to estimate the birth points of ancient Greek fabulists. You are fabulous at that. All right, there's a Snopes article about it. Go on. Snopes says we don't know. Okay. Well, anyway. On the other hand, Wikipedia says true. There's an MIT Museum of Hacks. I kind of want to go to this. <laughs> So, oh, the, the other thing I was going to ask you about crows is, you know, the other cool thing that crows do, I think this was in the UK, they noticed that crows were doing this. Pave paradise and put up a parking lot? Well, it does involve pave, pavement. Oh, yes. The thing where, I won't steal your thunder. Well, it's a pretty short thing. It's just that crows, I, get this, I forget if it's for snails or like nuts or whatever, but something, with a, nuts. something with a shell that the crows wanted to eat, but was in a shell that needed to be cracked. And what they would do is drop it. On the pave or the uh, well, we would call it like the pavement of the road. I think the British call sidewalks pavement. I guess the I don't asphalt? know what they call the band pavement. Tarmac Adam, maybe. That's like <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> right. So anyway, they, but they drop, drop it, it in the road in the road so that cars will run over the nuts and like crack the shells. And not only that, but they have learned to wait for when the traffic lights change and the pedestrians. They've learned to drop it not only just in the road but in the crosswalk of the road. And then wait for the light to change so that the pedestrians start walking. So they go down and they won't get run over while the pedestrians like are walking in that in that phase of the light and and eat the nuts, which is pretty That's amazing. I mean, people don't know how to cross the road that well. It's true. Um, so yeah, in short, I think we welcome our new chimpanzee and crow overlords. And I, for one, would watch the crap out of Battle for the Planet of the Crows if they want to do a sequel. Call your friend <laughs> in Hollywood, <laughs> Josh. Get my agent on the phone. It's funny, though, right? Like, we're completely amazed that animals are smarter than us at some things. But if you're like, a tiger runs faster than a person. Well, exactly. Well, yes. I mean. Yeah. And, and you know, intelligence. We it, it is a sort of general facility among humans, but there are also many, many skills that take place entirely in the nervous system that could be called a form of intelligence. Or could just be called a weird random thing that animals or humans do. Yeah. I would even argue that, like, language is sort of one of those things. Like, because, like we said... It does, it's hard to do to pick up a language, but it's also something that like our less brilliant 
members of our society seem to do almost as well as our more brilliant members. So, Okay, Stephen Pinker. But you're right. So anyway, uh, yeah, I would argue that's sort of a weird trick that we do. Anywho, do we want to talk about one more really... This one weird trick makes animals smarter than people. (laughs) Zookeepers hate him. It's that Bradley Wilson... uh, What's it? Bradley Cooper... uh, No! Drug. Do not... Nobody give... What's the limitless drug called? I can't remember. Nobody give it to crows. No one watch the movie. Make crows watch the movie. And now, this is also the weekend that... Was it called Lucy? With Scarlett Johansson? I'm I'm not watching that one out of protest for all 10% of the brain movies, but... Anyway, 100% of the brain is called epilepsy. <laughs> we should make a movie about that. Guy Scarlett takes, Johansson guy takes learns drug to use 100% of her brain and she and then, just has a grand mal seizure for an hour and a half. Yep. <laughs> it would be such a hit among such a niche demographic. Right. There'd be like three people that would watch the whole thing. But it would be and, like, and yes, like, finally. And like five or 10,000 that would buy a ticket just on principle and then leave so they didn't have to watch it. We should show it at SFN. Yeah. Everyone would be like, Maybe yes. not at the epilepsy social. Well, this is one of my favorite things. You remember the Alzheimer's social? Yeah. It has karaoke. Well, that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, you know the thing? And it has copy about, like, can't remember the words? Come sing along at the Alzheimer's social. Yeah. Like, I always wonder how much of a sense of humor they really have about it. They can't remember either. Well, I, I think I told you, I might have even said this on the podcast before, that one of the things I've always wanted to do is go around to the Alzheimer's social at one of the neuroscience conferences and just keep introducing myself to the same people over and over again until they get the joke or... Kick me out. I'm not sure which would happen first. <laughs> Hi. I don't believe we've met. You could also go to the Songbird Social and just talk about Twitter the whole time. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> at reply superb fairy Ren. Right. So let's uh, maybe. All right. Now we're going to change gears and talk about with a dumb animal. Koalas. Apparently not the smartest. You know the like cute sort of where koalas live. They live in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Like the panda also. Not bright. Yeah, the the large. Well, I guess koalas. The are large, not. adorable bears. Pan- just... Neither of them are technically bears, right? Or are pandas real bears? Koalas are not bears. I know that. The red panda is like a raccoon, I think. Yeah. So anyway, uh, koalas not being bears, they are uh, just little marsupials that are not smart. But as everyone may know, so I didn't know this. I guess that. You know, they eat, I think, entirely eucalyptus leaves. Yeah. Right. And live on eucalyptus trees. And one thing I did not realize is that the eucalyptus, I believe this is true, if this is, if I have not been lied to. So it's of low, low nutritive value, high toxicity, and high dietary fiber. So basically they have to eat a whole lot of this very toxic stuff. And I presume spend a lot of their time. Isn't it also slightly psychoactive? Well, I think that's part of the toxicity, yeah. So I don't know exactly. I think they have, you know, adapted to be able to eat it. Well, not so well because they're endangered. Well, right. But I think they are, like, they do get kind of stoned out on it. But since it's the only thing they eat, it's they're kind of stoned out on it all the time. Anyway, they're... they're... Oh, God, this animal gets more and more horrifying the more I read about it. Yeah. What is this? Look oh. right after footnote 27. Oh, interesting. Oh, no, sorry. Back that up to the sentence before. <laughs> oh, awesome. oh, this dramatic. I have to tell this story. Can you do a dramatic reading? Why don't you do a dramatic team I, reading? I, I'm not going to be able to get through it without uh, cracking up. Because I, I have a story to tell about this. As in most marsupials, the male koala has a bifurcated penis, and the female has two lateral vaginas and two separate uteri. The male's penile sheath contains naturally occurring bacteria that play an important role in fertilization. The female's pouch opening is tightened by a sphincter that keeps the young from falling out. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of gross. We, we haven't have we done our segment on weird animal sex? We have a bunch of links queued up for this, but maybe this will be well, we kind can, of. We this can, is sort of our make it a feature. Yeah. So there are a couple things here. First of all, if anyone's interested, you know that double penilism, and I guess double vaginalism occasionally happens in humans, right? As a weird mutation. No. There is an "Ask Me Anything" on Reddit by a guy. That if anyone cares, that you can look it up, and he shows photographic evidence of a he is is a doubly gifted man. That's just a little side note. But most humans, I'm also imagining like how the heck did like a right there are genes that sort of enforce symmetry. Well, and you would I think mean, like breaking that one would break everything. Yes and no. I mean, lateral symmetry is a whole. It's an interesting topic, right? Because like all animals exhibit either. I think that's true. No, all the animals, sponge. No, no. All animals. Oh, okay. So radial either, or lateral. Either radial or lateral symmetry or are just kind of amorphous. Like a sponge is just amorphous, right? Like No, no. A sponge is radial, I think. I didn't think a sponge had any symmetry to it. Maybe it's all animals with um, with bones. I don't know. I like bananas because they have no bones. Well, I searched for radial symmetry. Sponges a, actually have them? I got a picture of it. Well. Anyway, so right okay. like. The way you make, like, a starfish, for oh, you're example. Right. A small minority, notably the sponges, have no symmetry. Oh, okay. But a sponge is, like, almost a plant. Right. But most animals have some form. I think everybody else has symmetry. Okay. So, right, you either have it like a starfish does, where your copies are kind of around the center of you. So, like, each starfish arm is kind of a copy of all the other starfish arms. Or you have, like, what humans have and dogs and cats and fish and other stuff, where you have lateral symmetry, where your left side is a copy of your right side. Right. Yep. But there is, it is true that the way that lateral symmetry works is stuff through the midline, if you want just one of them, you can see how, I mean, this is why you get like two-headed cats and things like that, right? You can have a pretty, it's clearly like a pretty common mutation to get the lateral symmetry off just a bit. And instead of one copy of something with, with equal halves that meet in the center, you end up with like two actual copies of the thing, right? I guess. Where you get like the weird... Like cyclopianism or whatever, where either don't Google this because most of the pictures are horrifying of like children born with I forget what the actual condition's called. I don't think they're called cyclopses. I mean, but it's basically called yeah, being a cyclops type person. And I mean, it's sad for I guess that's what happens to you, but especially when you get poked in the eye with a hot spear. (laughs) Yes, when some dude named Odysseus claims to be nobody and uh, escapes from you, but. Yeah, like, so either you get, like, an eye, either you get, like, three eyes where the, the, what would be one of the eyes kind of on each side meets in the center, or you get, like, too much, well, you know, like, all of us have some natural variation, like, how close our features are together. Like, you get too close and you have, like, one eye in the center. You you have all these weird mutations like this, right? So anyway, this guy apparently has this in his genital area. He, He got two of something instead of two sides of something, right? Wait, is it? Split like a hot dog? I don't. No, nah, I don't want to know. No, they're two like totally normal. Do they function independently? I forget the details. He anyway. He hasn't asked me anything. And you people, have it bookmarked. And people do. And he. It's pretty easy to find. I'm anyway. We're not going to be linked to this in the show notes, but this man does exist, and I think others like him. At any rate. Okay, so there are some fishes that are not symmetric too. Okay, four hundred fishes. I assume exactly. I mean species, and not like they've counted. Right. Uh, so anyway, th- but the the thing I was really going to tell you about was the the fact that I have to be delicate because we have this has to remain a safe for workish podcast. 
But the fact that most marsupials do have bifurcated penei. Just say genitalia. Because they have both. Well, that's true. But specifically with that. So this is also true of the most notable, and I think only North American marsupial, the... Opossum? Yes, the opossum. Or opossum, as we in the South simply call it. So apparently... So I was listening to the the podcast I was referencing earlier uh, that my friend Danielle listened to was the Bob and Cherry podcast, which is just a radio show in North Carolina that I used to listen to because it was our local radio show. And I still listen to that podcast sometimes. And one of the most memorable episodes of that podcast, or, or that actual radio show, was they got to talking about opossums and this characteristic. And it was revealed by callers into that radio station from across the southeast that it is a widespread, what is the opposite of an urban myth, a, a widespread rural myth, <laughs> that... The reason opossums have a bifurcated Johnson is that when it comes to reproducing time, you know know this? But they choose the... No, no, no. They... I have to come up with so many euphemisms. They produce their genetic payload. Their seed. Yes. They spill their seed into their own nostrils and then sneeze it. In, what? Into the lady opossum. <laughs> what? And, and like, how is this? And all, all kinds of people were calling this radio show being like, yeah, that's totally true. I learned that in school. This explains so much about schools in the <laughs> South. <laughs> I mean, I went to school in the South and this was never a unit or even two units or even one <laughs> unit split into two parts. But <laughs> can I just rewind slightly to say that if you ever develop a, some sort of personality disorder, I think I will refer to you as bifurcated Johnson. <laughs> there was a great... Well, we don't need to get it. There's a great William Slater story about where I learned the word bifurcation, but now I can't. Uh, you ever read William Slater as a kid? He wrote good kid science fiction. Maybe. I can't actually remember what was bifurcated. I think it was like a like a person cloning himself kind of situation. But anyway, uh, so all that said, they have that. But the, the thing we were really getting at with the koalas... Anyway, by the way, that is not how opossums reproduce. I, I figured right. having a PhD in biology and... <laughs> Sneezing is not a... Below average common sense. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I don't know how that came to be the case. But anyway, what we're going to say, the main thing about the koala was that it has one of the smallest brains in proportion to its body weight of any animal, being 60% smaller than that of a typical, uh, how do you say that, diprotodont, which I guess is... That's the teeth. Yeah. Wait, wait, we missed two things about koala reproduction that are embarrassing for the koala and hilarious for us. One, which... Actually, did you mention it? Is that most koalas have chlamydia? Well, yeah, I was going to cap off with that, but we may as well jump right to it. Is Yeah, apparently chlamydia is rampant among koalas. They just all have it. I don't know exactly what the prevalence is. Uh, I read somewhere it was at least 60%, oh, which must make like... Can you imagine your student research talk if you are studying koala STDs? Yeah. I... So they've also been inbred for like literally hundreds of thousands of years. Such low genetic diversity may have been characteristic of the koala since the late... I never know how to say that. Pleistocene, Pleistocene. Do you remember when that was? Pleistocene. Uh, no, not exactly. Not that old. No, it's pretty old. No, I'm not that old. Okay, so it... Well, wow, this is one of those geological epics that's totally useless. From about 2.5 million years ago to about 12,000 years ago. Which seems like it should be more carefully divided. Right. But that's a long time. Right. Anyway, yeah, so they have been so super inbred for a long time. So they're inbred, they have chlamydia, and they're not even particularly good at breeding. 
By the way, we are talking about the koalas and not the southerners that believe things about how they reproduce, just to make it clear. Well, uh, that's that's unfair. We're both southerners by birth or Raising. early life, yeah. No, our, we love our southern brethren, who are also our southern uncle and... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the last one. <laughs> uh, You're the one I wanted to crack a family reunion this weekend. It's true. I'm not telling that story because I'm afraid they'll find me out. Anyway, so the point of the, the koalas being dumb thing is that koalas have a very small brain in proportion to their body weight, which usually is an indicator of not so high intellect. They have also a very, a very smooth brain surface. Which, uh, Wait, there's a great word for that. I'm totally blanking on it. Crenellations? No, no, I was no, going to bring no, up no. the word crenellations because I had never heard the word crenellations and I study Actually, brains. I only heard that in reference to English muffins. Really? Well, well, they're guess, full of crenellations. They have nooks yeah. and crannies. So I guess I didn't realize that... Lucidus what, what, what is, is the word I was thinking of for smooth brain. Crenellation just means bumpy. Well, but do you know that that's... It's named after the... Um, I never knew what you called those things on like medieval castle towers. Oh, really? English muffin just got way awesomer. No, no, no. Well, and now I can't remember. They're called crenelles, the, apparently. That's what I couldn't remember is what the noun, the, the regular noun form is. Yeah, the little bumpy things on a castle wall is a crenelle. And a crenellation, crenellation is like making something kind of bumpy like that. My English muffin is now a castle. <laughs> As is my brain. It's turning into an Old Spice commercial. <laughs> I'm on a horse. You know those were all shot live? Yeah, just, there's I actually the really good of... behind them. Yeah, behind the scenes. Which is also genius, because then you watch the Old Spice commercial yeah, you watch dragged it out twice. for like 20 minutes, because you're like, how did they do that? There was a day, I don't know if you remember this, but this was, there was a day where they were sort of continuously making Old Spice videos throughout the day. Yeah, in response to people's like emails. And- it, was, it was really about this time of, type, time of summer about three or four years ago. I stayed home from work to watch them come up in real time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think you did too. I think we were emailing back I think and forth I was about work, them all day long. Like, watching the monkey not Like, behave. this is a good one. I think I might have watched like 200 Old Spice videos uh that, that the guy made in real time that one day i saw something about since we were talking about movies last night yeah. something about how like jurassic park has held up amazingly well right yeah I, it's cgi was i mean well no i think it's maybe not as high tech as today's in some senses but it looks as plausible i mean it looks as plausible as reality which it did back then and it still does now well because a lot of them were practical effects right they had like a real right. giant dinosaur thing yeah they move around and i like, mean it didn't like they actually made bite really... off ian malcolm's leg Wait, you mean Jeff Goldblum has two legs? Well, there are a couple takes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that the other day. Someone was like, this is... If you look at contemporary movies to Jurassic Park, they yeah. use like more CGI, right? It looks terrible because they're like like one step away from doing it on punch cards. What was 93? It was, I think, 94 or something like that. Wait, you mean that Jurassic Park looks bad compared no, to... No, it looks good. Oh, yeah. Because they basically... Oh, it was 93, yep. They used practical effects for nearly everything, and then... Right. Well, I, I think I was saying this, maybe not to you, but someone else recently. You know what else has really good special effects? Is the original Star Wars, before the special editions. Oh, because it's because also all practical. they just used it with models. And when something blew up, it literally blew up. It was just a small thing filmed up close. But it looked like... Well, because it, it's really exploded. It looked right? like a real spaceship made of, like, ceramic or metal or whatever, because it was made of ceramic or metal. And it was and really it was exploding. A, yeah. And it, it was weird how, like, special effects did take a step back. Richard... Oh, no, it's not David Attenborough. That would be even better. Aren't they... They are related, though, right? Really? I thought. Maybe. Yeah, not. siblings David Attenborough. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, so we just had... You know Horace Barlow? Speaking of famous people. Uh, the, the vision yes, science guy. Yes, yes. So he was uh, sort of one of the first people to use, like, math to study vision. And so he came and gave a talk. 
Oh, I didn't realize Darwin. he was like still alive. Well, me neither. He's Darwin's great grandson. That's awesome. And he somehow did not lead with this. <laughs> like, I I mean, I can only assume that Darwin has thousands and thousands of offspring. I mean, if he believed in what he wrote. Also, he's been adapted to become a better scientist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Were women just flocking to him? I, I didn't actually go to the talk, so I don't know. Oh, okay. Did you attempt to, so nobody attempted to kill him and he successfully evaded their capture? We should, though. <laughs> he might still be here. It was on Friday. Yes. But doesn't that make him sound, it's weird how you have, like, landmarks in time. Yeah. Like, Darwin, I imagine, is quite old. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, because a human being can live I mean, I guess century. he is quite old. He's 90-something. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, it is strange that if you take, like, your oldest living ancestor and their oldest living ancestor, you can get back pretty far pretty fast. The New York Times had this thing. What does this have to do with Jurassic Park? Oh, just, like, siblings of famous <laughs> people. Slash old things. <laughs> right. Naturally. What? Jurassic Park is about old things. Did you know? And his great-grandfather was a dinosaur. Pretty much. Yeah, so all right, that was the only thing about Jurassic Park, right? Oh, yeah. So, anyways, we have not come to the stupidest part of the koala behavior. Right. So, anyway, this, in case you forgot, we were talking about koalas and how they're dumb. All right. So, the koala eats a food which is not nutritive, toxic, and requires a lot of elimination. Right. Not only that, it has a small brain that is very smooth. Occupies only 61% of its cranial cavity. And Do they, like, jump around a lot? I don't know. I mean, you think it has, it... it has a huge... Anyway, the rest of it, like, it has a huge amount of cerebrospinal fluid, which is basically water with, like... It has some, like, nutri- nutrient-y stuff in it and so forth. And But I think it, its main function is, like... It's just cushioning, really. Yeah, it's like an egg drop from elementary school. And, like, a little bit of extra, like... It kind of, like, exchanges stuff with the blood, right? And kind of keeps, uh... Oh, yeah, it's certainly The right important. levels of... Of stuff surrounding your cells. But yeah, it's basically just a fluid buffer for your brain to float around and so it doesn't rattle against the inside. Is that how skull. woodpeckers work? Woodpeckers do have some kind of special I just saw adaptation. This I about... can't remember what it is. Anyway, All right. while Cross is looking up woodpeckers, I'm tempted to do my Woody Woodpecker impersonation, but I'm not sure if it would translate. All, all in good time. Anyway, so most of their, or, or, or nearly a majority of their brain space is just water, effectively. Although, so one of the, as Wikipedia says... One of the possibilities is that this is a shock absorber in case the koala falls out of the tree. Although... So that's what I would think. Every other animal that climbs trees does not have this. Well, so. there's a much easier adaptation to not falling out of a tree. Which, which is, is to not fall to, out of the yeah, tree. To be smart enough to not fall out of trees, yes. Well, I guess if you're already down the small brain... Uh, possibly a better conjecture is that it may be an adaptation to save memory. Uh, sorry, save energy. Because, By not having a brain? Well, because our brains... I think the human brain uses... It's like a quarter of your caloric budget, right? Yeah, I think like somewhere like around 20 to 20. To a quarter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think 20% is what I've heard before. But yeah, like we, our brains use up a surprising amount of our, you know, our calories per day. And if you have, you know, if you were put on calorie restriction, you might imagine that. Oh, no. You, when you're hungry, you don't right? need all like of this brain often necessarily. Stupid. Well, there's that. But just in terms of like, if you need to cut some, like, let's say the world just changed or you were raised in a chamber so that you only had access to. 1,500 calories a day instead of 2,000. Well, I might finally be in shape. Well, Where's this chamber? Yeah. Take me to it. <laughs> exactly. After I finish these donuts. But, yeah. But, you know, you might imagine that, like, one thing you might cut out is just make your brain 20% smaller and dumber so that... Well, it's like underclocking, right? Yeah. Like, your phone could run faster, but it doesn't, so the battery doesn't die. Right. Anyway, all that is to say, the koala is really stupid, and because of that, which is the main point we were trying to get to about an hour ago... The koala has a limited ability to perform complex, unfamiliar behaviors. For example, and this is what I find amazing, 
if you, instead of putting the koala on a eucalyptus tree with eucalyptus leaves, if you put it on a table with plucked eucalyptus leaves on a flat surface, it cannot adapt to the change in its feeding routine and will not eat the leaves sitting like right in front of it. So it can't even recognize its own primary source of food sitting, its only source of food sitting right in front of it because it's on a wooden table, not up in a tree. Is it like a freshness thing or is it just too dumb to recognize the leaves? I think it's just too dumb. It has poor vision, they say. So I've heard that, like, cats don't like water near their food, right, because it might be tainted. Yeah. You could imagine that, like, the drying out would concentrate hey. the toxins. But I think let's just go with them being dumb. I think they are just stupid. So and I thought it was apparently infested with chlamydia. But uh, it turns out it's pandas that are actually carnivores, but only eat plants. Oh, like they are... Like the panda is sort of descended from carnivores and should be a carnivore. Right. Based on its dentition. Which is a great word. Yeah, I like dentition. So maybe we're we're once again running long, but that's what she's yeah. But it's funny going through this. Oh, I never got back to you, but the the panda is part of the bear family. Okay, the panda is a bear. The koala is not a bear. Cool. I think the red panda is not a panda. It's just a thing. Right. Got good PR. I, I was going through the rest of this Reddit thread about koalas, looking to see if there are any other fun facts. But the best thing about this Reddit thread is that every you know, like on Reddit, every comment has its own little like tree of comments. And every comment thread has somewhere in it being like, did you know that koalas have so much chlamydia? <laughs> so that's basically the only fun fact about koalas that people seem to know. I couldn't recognize that when it was off the comment tree. Oh, oh, I'm a little faint, oh, sorry. Oh. I'm have to bump me up in post. Oh, I'll bump you up in post. Help. <laughs> uh, I was going to say maybe that this would be a good time to like just rattle off as many of the random little other animal facts that we either have queued up or know just by by heart and call it a day. Oh, uh, sure. Let's see. I already talked about the. Not. Sex to, I think the animal life. the animal sex thing is like a whole. Oh, feature the woodpecker. Itself. I didn't answer. Oh, right. Yeah. So uh, I was completely wrong about the woodpecker. It turns out the woodpecker bill deforms to oh, absorb. It has the, like crumple zones. Yeah, basically. They they're crazy though. So it hits the tree at twelve hundred G's. That's insane. That is insane. So a human, according to NASA, can survive about forty five G's, although you will shrink. From your spine being compressed, and you'll probably be very unhappy from the rest yeah. of you being compressed. And it says woodpeckers have relatively small brains, which are packed tightly inside their skull. So there mm -hmm. is a brain injury called a contracoup, mm -hmm. uh, which is where your your brain basically ricochets off your skull, so it like slams forward mm -hmm. and then backwards in the fluid, and that's bad. So you get kind of um, you get a concussion on like both sides rather than just one, basically. Yeah, and uh, you get it in the opposite direction, right? So if I hit you in the oh, back of the head. Yeah. Right, the injury is not on the back of the head; right, it's, it's your brain the hitting yeah. the front, which is a little weird if you're trying to like reconstruct the accident. Right, right. So this says that by having you know like fairly tight packing, they avoid that. Although, it seems like uh... oh, it says the lysencephaly can also help spread out the force, right? So it's not as concentrated. I guess it, like it distributes the force over the bone instead of right because the brain. Yeah, you have more contact area. Yeah. Eh, oh. That makes whoa. Sense. <laughs> The team found a tame acorn woodpecker, which could be encouraged to perform for their camera by bashing out a few words on an old typewriter. <laughs> and uh, I guess they've also learned to uh, line up the beak, so you don't get this, like, right, if you hit this way, you have less contact area. If you hit, like, not straight on, okay, yeah, yeah. you, like, shear the beak in a way that hurts. Okay. So that it makes sense, I guess. When they watch the bird very carefully, they see it like does like a... They're kind pump. of like shaving away like a, at an angle, like a chiseling kind of... No, no, they don't oh, do that. They don't do that. They want to go straight on, so it def so the crumple zone is like in the right spot. Oh, okay. So it's... More, oh, right, right, right. But so the bird has like... 
it's probably innate, but it does like a couple test taps before to it goes going to right town. Angle. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Please enjoy these wonderful yeah. sound effects. I was just going. That's not going to be at all annoying on the uh, podcast. Uh, you know that the the thing about how they did put a bunch of typewriters in with some chimpanzees one time. No, it was macaques. Oh, it was macaques, and they just like the letter S, as I recall, and then they tried to eat the typewriter. They also eliminated all over it. Yes. Which, incidentally, I am might be doing an experiment where I give monkeys electronics. So if anyone has a really, really sturdy iPad cover, <laughs> I would love to know about it. Yeah, so yeah, monkeys will not write Shakespeare, apparently, even if given. Well, they only have like ten, right? You need well, right. left, at least a left knot of but monkeys. But I, I think the assumption underlying the Shakespeare monkey hypothesis is that the monkeys hit keys at a uniform random probability distribution, which it turns out they do not. They mostly ignore the typewriters and poo on it. That's true. And occasionally type S. If I was the zookeeper, I would have been so tempted to take the paper out and replace it with, like, a page out of Hamlet. <laughs> Can you imagine? You'd just be like, wait, what? No. <laughs> with footnotes and everything. Wow, he's even glossed some of the Middle English words. <laughs> oh, this is actually really helpful. I'm picking up things I never knew before. Okay, so uh, rapid-fire animal facts. You got uh, I just did the woodpecker. Oh, right. So here's one. So this was a little bit oversold on, this was also a Reddit thread I found this on, that otters have belly patches, belly pouches where they hide their favorite rock. It is not actually their favorite. It's not like their pet rock. It's just like ballast. I think they use it for, if I remember correctly, they use it for like cracking shellfish or something like that. Now I actually forget. Well, it's like, don't don't birds also eat some, some grit in their, is it croup? So they can grind up. Yeah, food. they like keep their. Yeah, they isn't have, your father a a chicken? Poultry geist is the wrong word. Hey, let's go with that. Yeah, my father has chickens. It, it is true that. Let's see if I can find their rock thing. Yeah, yeah these are like smash open shells. Right, exactly. There was also a uh, a comment in that Reddit thread that they use it for like beating up other otters, but I think that is unsubstantiated. But anyway, it's cool that they have like a little pouch, like like a little purse to keep their rock in, ah. so they don't have to like go find a new rock whenever they want to. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but yes, I, my father has chickens, but I do not know I think specifically they, what the I grav- think their gravel needs are. Some gra- I think they just eat, like, dirt, and then it provides... Yeah, it kind of shell. helps grind up the, the seed. All right, so that's otters. And chicken. Other animal random facts. Oh, I've got a couple others, but... All right, keep going, then. Well, so I learned a lot of... I've been working really hard, if you're listening, my advisor, but I have also been reading some Reddit recently. Uh, did you know that cats' kidneys, unlike human kidneys, are so efficient that cats could actually drink seawater? And be okay. Like, their, their kidneys are good enough at filtering out salt. Huh. Cats can drink seawater, apparently. So, that, that was just a kind of random thing. Like, that's something humans can't do. Oh, it's an article from the Journal of Physiology, which is a real journal. Yeah, it's a real thing. Which rejected my paper. It was actually... <laughs> well, apparently so they have more journal. important issues. <laughs> yeah, I feel a little snubbed. They're like, oh, this cat kidney thing. Yeah. We have to... Actually, the, the actual experiment was... Uh, well, no, I take that back. I thought it was something more sophisticated than that, but I misremembered. It is Wait, exactly this... asking whether cats can just drink seawater. See, I kind of wish I was doing science in the 60s, because they're like, we have this cat. Can it drink seawater? Yes, it can. Here's a paper. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah, so if you if you are ever at sea, this is... I, this gave cat... me an idea. No, you can't drink cat urine. It would be more oh, concentrated. Oh, more salty. That, that's what I was... That was what was going through my brain. If we ever are out at sea... <laughs> You can have the cat piss. I'll take the bottled water. Well, never mind. Anyway. I, I lamentably think I know where you're going with this. And it is not. <laughs> Let's move on. 
Uh, so another weird thing about cats is that they cannot synthesize. So so this led us to be talking about like all kinds of like weird little things that most animals can do that some animals can't or whatever. So apparently cats also can't synthesize the chemical taurine, which is, I believe, a, an amino acid. It is. Not one of the essential ones, right? But it is still necessary for life. Uh, or maybe it is. Uh, well, I forget what makes something an essential. I think it's acid. essential if it can't be synthesized. Oh, maybe that's it. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, man, I should really know something like that. So actually, so they have different essentiality depending on what species you're referring to, huh? Um, essential amino acids. Wait, maybe I'm wrong. They're non-standard amino acids. <laughs> Sorry, you can't eat that. Non-standard. Can't touch that. Does not comply with the amino acid IEEE 3884.2. Okay, so essential is uh, human-centric. Okay, so it's what's essential. So there are essential. nine amino acids that humans cannot synthesize. Like uh, valine, tryptophan, leucine, isoleucine, right. lysine. So you know the tryptophan thing, right? It's a total lie. The, t- the turkey tryptophan thing? No, 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 not that. Well, that's true, that, like, the tryptophan well, is turkey. Well, it's true that it's a lie. Yes, it is true that... But no, I was so it is, in fact, way. false. But you know that they do cool... So because human beings cannot synthesize tryptophan, which is an essential component in making serotonin, you know they've done, like, depression studies where they cut tryptophan out of people's diets for a few days and they can induce this kind of weird depression-like state by just depriving them. Have you heard of this, like, tryptophan depletion? Yeah, thing? actually. Yeah, it's but just, just kind of a cool little thing that... They do in depression research. So if I'm feeling sad, I should prefer turkey to ham? Is where we're going with this? Well, if it, but that's the thing is, right? Like, tryptophan is in all meats and cheeses, and, like, tryptophan's in lots of stuff. It's just not in True, everything. but you can get more of it. Right. But I think that's the thing is that turkeys are not even particularly high in tryptophan, if I recall correctly. Dietary sources. All right, what is the most tryptophan-y food? Guess. The blood of an infant. Uh, no. Oh. It's funny. I... It's not what you would guess, actually. What is it? I thought egg I saw white. egg. Yeah. Guess, well, <laughs> eggs are high in like most things that you need to live. They do contain the foundation of, a, of an entire animal. Also spirulina, which I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's uh, some bacteria. Oh. Looks gross. Pass. Oh, it's fish food. Oh. All right. So if you're feeling depressed. Not like fish food. <laughs> that's not what's in Ben and Jerry's fish food. No, this is a fish food. Food for fishes. Doctors Johnson and Krauss recommend the diet of egg whites, fish food, dried Atlantic cod, with, topped with Parmesan cheese and raw soybeans, which are actually toxic. Don't eat raw soybeans. I'll keep that in mind. Also, it uh, apparently makes you, if you're a man, turn into a woman, right? I thought they had a something... Uh... Don't, that's not true. That is. Soybeans do have estrogen. It's like a phytoestrogen, is right? It, is it estrogen or... It's phyto, because it, it comes from a plant. Right. But is it actual estrogen or is it just the precursor? So it is actual estrogens, not pre- the precursors to human estrogen. Anyway, I don't think... Uh, the estrogens in soy is a significant concern. I, maybe I'm wrong about the... There's some something in raw soy that was not good. Oh, it increases your risk of pancreatic cancer if you're a rat. Okay. Well, good to know if you're a rat. Rats listening. And also gout. Cook your soy. Which is a weirdly old-timey disease. My dad has gout, actually. Is he like... He's not a rich old man in the 19th or the 18th century. Have you tried, like, bloodletting? I, I have not put any leeches on him yet. Some some lusty maidens. Yeah. But but anyway, we need to now go like nine steps up this chain. Pop, pop, pop. Okay, pop, so we pop. talked about talked about tryptophan. So anyway, cats can't synthesize taurine, which is something that humans can, I guess. Oh, like is this why they're obligate carnivores? Right. So this is why cats are obligate carnivores, meaning 
taurine is only found in meats and maybe a few other things, but like if, if and th- this is actually a significant concern. So this is a public, this is our public service announcement. Oh, ferrets are also, yeah, ferrets are also, yeah, taurine deficient. I think probably there are a lot of animals that might be that way that have. When we have our Jurassic Park of cats, we just have to control the taurine in their diet. Basically, and they're, or they're all like, but but this is a problem, right? Why would you do lysine? It's the simplest one. Stupid Ian Malcolm. Yeah. Or no, stupid. It's all coming back around. If anyone doesn't remember, that was the thing in Jurassic Park that they were they were short on the ability lysine, to synthesize. I yeah, I think it was lysine. So. You should have checked with David Attenborough. Wouldn't you call up your brother and be like, hey, I'm making a dinosaur park? Yeah, I don't know. I think there's many problems with this. Number one, <laughs> Richard Attenborough in real life is not... Tell me Westfall and I say you're wrong. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. We're going way, way down. The point being, this is actually a problem like for a lot of, well, not a lot of the time, but some vegetarian cat owners have enforced a vegetarian diet in their cats also because they think that that would be right to do. And it actually is really, like, then you have to take your cat to the vet and it gets really sick and possibly dies because the cat actually can't subsist on a vegetarian diet. So if you are a vegetarian with a cat, this is my public service announcement. You have to feed it meat or you will kill your cat. Your cat cannot also be a vegetarian. Unless, of course, you want to give your cat Red Bull, which does contain cor- taurine in it. Now, that might have some other unintended side effects. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Although, it's uh, funny you mentioned Red Bull. Uh, yeah. This just prompted a memory. So when I had a dog, she was really sick once. We took her to the vet. And they gave her a shot of, I think it, it was like a vitamin shot is what the vet said. Yeah. And she perked right up, like, immediately, which I thought was really weird, because it's like, you know, the dog gets healthy dog food. But I think it was some B vitamins, so basically the dog was just jabbed with a five-hour energy. Yeah. Sorry, Mac. Well, I think that is true with certain types of deficiencies, if you replace them, that you, they enter the... No, but aren't some of the B vitamins, like, particularly, like, oh, they're, energy they're provoking? Kind of. Isn't that... I thought that was just kind of BS, but I could be wrong. Well, speaking of vitamins, another cool thing is that, uh, so humans also fall into this category of, like, there's a thing that we can't synthesize... Well, that, nine things we can, apparently. Well, I was going to say... Yeah, the top hit on B12 energy is from Dr. Oz. And not, yeah. you know, PubMed. That Science-based medicine... All right, hold on. Vitamin C is associated with preventing colds and influenza. Although it doesn't work. Okay, good. So this is not total crap. Actually, do you know why the vitamins are named the way they are? I don't remember exactly. There are some, there are some story behind them. This is probably a, a whole side topic for another episode. Also, if you'd like to see a crazy OG a- molecule, check this out. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. It's just like someone was like, let's draw some. Looks like a bunch of stuff got dropped on the floor at the molecule store or factory, and they just kind of like, eh, just put that, what the, just put anything from the leftover bin together. I'm sort of amazed we can synthesize this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I, there are Lego kits less complicated than that molecule that I have not been able to assemble. And the conclusion is, maybe. Awesome. Right. Anyways. Anyway. Yeah, I think the vitamins were named like in alphabetical order for a while, and then they kind of went like off the rails. And e then they and found like... more Bs, and they're like, oh, yeah. And then they, I don't know why they skipped right down to K. There was, there was some story behind that. Anyway, all that is to say that, so cats cannot synthesize taurine, which is present in Red Bull, but you should not actually give your cat Red Bull, because that's the last thing they need. Humans cannot synthesize vitamin C, which makes us relatively oh, did I never talk about animals. vitamin C? In... So this causes scurvy, right? Right, like not having vitamin C causes scurvy. So having extra vitamin C, by the way, does not enhance your immune system. So there's an amazing story about the discovery and then the loss and rediscovery of vitamin C. You mean like in terms of our genetic ability to synthesize it? Or... No, 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 in terms of our... Oh, in terms of the scurvy The thing. dietary requirements. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, so this is why British people are called limeys. Right, because they, would, they figured out they would eat limes at sea to 
stave off the scurvy. But this is sort of this horrible confluence of events where, so they give the people, so they discovered that, you know, eating citrus prevents scurvy on these long sea voyages. And then sort of around the same time, two things happened. One is that the boats got faster, so the sea voyages were shorter in length. Okay. And the other thing that happened was that uh, they switched from using fresh fresh lime juice to uh, pasteurized and, like, canned okay, citrus yeah. juice. And, Which kind of kills the vitamin C. Yeah, so heating kills vitamin C, like, ferociously, right? So it says right. the first sentence of Wikipedia. But So this was, fact, was counteract, but counteracted by the fact that the ships were now fast enough that they weren't out for long enough to people right. to actually get scurvy. So when I think so, it was, they just assumed it was still working. So they assumed it was still working, and they were cooking it in these big copper vats, which actually catalyzes the destruction ah, of vitamin C. Awesome! You Good cannot job, see guys. my sarcastic thumbs up here, but I can. <laughs> it was a great sarcastic thumbs up too. So when I was one of the Antarctic explorers went to Antarctica, they packed lots of this tinned vitamin C. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So yeah, so this happened, and then people got sort of different theories about scurvy that it wasn't necessarily the vitamin. That yeah. it was some sort of, like, your blood was becoming too alkaline, and right. the acidity pulled it back. Which is not at all true, but it's sort of consistent, right? It's like, yeah. oh, there's a magical thing in the lime juice. Right. Which we can't see because it's old-timey times. Right, exactly. Versus, like, hey, this is acidic. Maybe you're too alkaline. We'll neutralize them. We know all about this. Yeah. Well, it's because the acid in the limes turns your cells into stem cells, which then regenerate you. I retract you. <laughs> We're not getting into that. There's a fraudulent, well, 99% probably... It's definitely fraudulent. I mean, the papers were retracted. Yeah. The claim that you could synthesize stem cells by dipping regular cells in acid, essentially. I guess it's unclear if it's fraudulent or just, like, really bad science. Anyway. Anyway, so uh, when the polar explorers went to the South Pole, they packed all this tinned lime juice, which would re-acidify their blood in sort of what the contemporary scientists thought was a good idea. Right. So they went off, and, you know, they have no meat because they're in the South Pole, and they just got, like... Absolutely debilitated by scurvy. And so at some point they split the expedition and they're like, look, everyone's getting scurvy. We're going to, these guys are going to haul ass to the pole and these guys are going to stay here and eat seals. And, <laughs> and the, the seal, seal guys all of a sudden got better. Yes. <laughs> and the guys with the tinned vitamin C free lime yeah. juice. Who are thought to be the ones that. Who should be in great shape. taking like yeah. the, the full supply of vitamin C or of, of lime juice anyway with them. Now that's funny. And that's how they rediscovered vitamin C, huh? I, I think it helped. Yeah. Well, anyway, so... Ooh, yeah, we are sort of weird among animals. Apparently, us... Yeah, and, it was Scott. Us and guinea pigs. So, if you're living in... Peru oh, so that was the other thing. Sorry. And living mostly on a guinea pig diet. One of my favorite bloggers has written all about this. Also, they... While they're testing this, right, they tested on animals. Right. Oh, did they um, test it on laboratory guinea pigs? I or no, think, I guess they no, would have to test it not on... Pigs. Yeah, if you tested on anything but guinea... Is that why people say guinea pig for research animal? I don't know. Because we don't actually use guinea pigs as our research guinea pigs very often at all. But you need to for vitamin C. Yeah, so I, I, we'll link to this because it's an amazing and fascinating story by one of my favorite bloggers. But basically, you know, Scott tried to do the right thing and it just completely fell apart on him. Because vitamin C isn't like nearly everything, but cooking it kills it. Right, yeah. Okay, uh, by the way, just as a complete... Are we at like two hours by now? Yeah, we're, we're, we have been talking for infinity hours, so we're going to wrap up real soon. Uh, just to kind of close all the open threads, uh, apparently guinea pigs have been used in scientific research back to at least the 17th century, where they used it for... Oh, keep reading. This experiment is hilarious. <laughs> so Antoine Lavoisier used a guinea pig in his oh, experiments yeah. with a calor- calorimeter, which is hilarious because most calorimeters now just burn the crap out of things. Right. But well, he- that actually reminds me of... Did you ever play the video game Maniac Mansion? This is where I thought the sentence was going at first. 
No. You never played the video game Maniac Mansion? Did you play like uh, any of the Lucasfilm games like... You know, I may have downloaded um, Sam like, and Max Hit the Road or uh, Secret of Monkey Island. Or is it Secret yeah, Secret of Monkey Island. Yeah. So, anyway, you know those games where you like walk around and you like pick up this thing and like go put it to this other thing. It's like sort of a, a, a text adventure with like actual graphics. Mm-hmm. There was like a, an Easter egg, quote unquote Easter egg, where like in Maniac Mansion, which was one of these games, one of the characters had a pet guinea pig and you could put it in the microwave and microwave the guinea pig and give it to the guy and he would like freak the hell out. Uh, anyway, it was like there was this was what was like controversial in like the early '90s in in America was that this was in a popular Nintendo game that you could microwave a guinea pig and they were afraid that kids were going to start like microwaving their oh you know what I take it back it was a hamster disregard oh, well. this whole story <laughs> anyway I thought this was going to be a sentence about setting guinea pigs on fire and well, the calories but the readout from this calorimeter is melting snow yeah top, not, not top nearly notch. as exciting didn't they have thermometers in eighteen or seventeen eighty yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm also I am confused by how this really shows that. Ah, next paragraph. Gas exchange is... in English. The term guinea pig is associated with a metaphor right. for scientific experiments. The OED first notes its usage in 1913, so no. Right, and it looks like part of the reason we maybe use it this way is due to. Well, actually, no, maybe not. Okay, we have no idea. I mean, they were. They were at once probably more common as research animals than now, apparently. I think they're a good model for parasites. I used to work with a lab that studied guinea pig poop. Okay. Interesting. Try not to visit there. I mean, the, according to Wikipedia, they currently constitute about 2% of the total laboratory animals. So that's oh, it's not like nothing. overwhelmingly mice. Yeah. And those creepy xenopus frogs. Right. Have you seen a xenopus frog? Well, I mean, are we counting by like number of organisms? Because yeah. there's enough C. elegans... Oh, that's true. But or, those, you know, there's enough bacteria in gallon of bacteria broth. Yeah. I think we have to talk about mammals. Or ver- vertebrates. Yeah. Should not exist. Anywho, back to the main topic, which is so humans and guinea pigs cannot synthesize vitamin C, thus we have to get it from oranges or, or meat or something like that. Cats can't do taurine. Other stuff we can think of. We mentioned the fact that rats and horses can't vomit. That's kind of a weird thing that most animals can do that rats and horses can't. It's actually why rats are uh, so aversive to like bitter things. So if you're training a rat for an experiment, people often use quinine, because if the rat really does not like the bitter taste, and it knows that it can't throw it up. Apparently rabbits maybe can't Rabbits can't either. So this is the thing that I have never been able to figure out. When I was in grad school, there were three classes of animals that required special training. Yeah. Non-human primates, venomous reptiles, and bunnies. Why? I have no idea. I think because you can stress them out and kill them, maybe? But, I mean, I didn't work with bunnies, so I have no reason to. I was just trying to remember. I feel like there was something about rabbits and vitamin C that I dimly remembered. But I could be wrong. Or maybe it was beta-carotene, which is vitamin A. And does not make your eyes better. It will kill this myth. Yeah. Well, wait, you said it does not make your vision better? No, do you know the story behind the carrots and the, the eyes? What? So, after radar was invented in World War II... The, yeah. the British wanted a cover story to explain why they were suddenly able to find all the Luftwaffe planes and destroy them. Right. And so they had this propaganda bit about how they had built a special carrot farm for the RAF pilots. Oh, right. And the carrots would improve their night vision due to some other scientific advance. Right. Ooh, be scared of us Nazis. Right. And it turned out to be radio waves instead. Oh. Whoops. I assume that's not a spoiler alert at this point. <laughs> well, so just going back, the, there is the thing of like, if you have severe vitamin A deficiency... Yeah, you, you have can, a lot, you you have can a lot go of blind, right? Right. So it improves your vision in the sense of if you have none beta carotene 
you will have none vision. True. But, but if, if you have, you have no water, beta you will also have no you vision. You will have some vision. But if you have lots of beta carotene, you won't have like supervision. Well, because the opsin is recycled, right? It goes like opsin, metaridopsin in the cycle that I ought to be able to draw. But it goes back and forth. It's not like the opsin is destroyed. Yeah. It's just like flipped. Okay. I think that's uh, more right. And anyway. you also can't like increase the density of yeah, like photoreceptors. More, more cones like are that. not going to appear. Right. Or rods. Okay. Rods, I guess. I think that's more than enough science chatter about aminals and such for today, right? All right. Well, <clears throat> thank you for joining us. Do we want to... Maybe we can close oh, out... Well, I got to, to do my experiment. Oh, right. So so we found a couple of videos on the internet of... How do we explain this? Like, I guess it's just interesting phenomenon that make awesome sound effecty sounds. Right. Well, and it's all of the category of... You know how, like, if you're a figure skater, you're spinning around with your arms out and you draw your arms in and you spin faster, right? That, I mean, that's this is a very loose analogy. That's kind of... Well, that's analogy. exactly what's going to happen with the Euler's well, disc here. so... Right. So things... Is so, it or Euclid? I can't see. Well, we all know the thing, like, if you spin a quarter... Right. It, it, as it, it kind of starts to flatten out on the surface, it goes... It's rotating at the same speed. No, wait, how does this work? Well, its rotational speed is the same, right? But it's... Oh, wait, I'm, I'm going to get this backwards. Yeah. Right. The rotational speed is the same, but the the linear speed is faster... Because the revolution right. is small. Anyway, yes. what, what happens is it makes a higher pitched, more rapid noise. And no, no, wait, like, we gotta figure this out. Okay, where's your coaster? <laughs> in case you don't know this, the Johnson Lab, of which well is not named for Matt Johnson, but but I am in it. Yeah, is uh, I'll go get the coaster while you tell the story. They're a very cleanly people, with the possible exception of my co-host. And one of the rules, oh, he looks indignant. One of the rules of the Johnson Lab is that a beverage may not be placed on the. Uh, Nice wooden table. So they have special coasters for the Johnson Lab, embroidered with Johnson Lab figures, including the the model for which his boss is famous. I stole one of them and now use it in my house. If you're listening, Marsha, I had nothing to do with this. If you're listening, Marsha, I would like, like, five more. (laughs) Okay, so it's spinning, and... All right, so normally it's spinning, and it's sort of perpendicular to the table, right? So each revolution takes the same amount of time. And then it starts to go this way. Yeah. So, all right. So it's a constant time for revolution, but the time between it hitting the table goes up and down as it gets closer to the table. Right, right. So once, once, so, you know, you have a very slow, like, or you have basically no change in contact up here. And then when it's almost at the end of its spin, the north side of the the coin hits really quickly, followed by the east, west, south, or east, southwest. And that speeds up and up and up as the coin comes to rest. Right. So anyway, what you get is a kind of, as you probably remember if you've ever spun a quarter on just, the just ground. Just do it right now. Yeah, spin a quarter on the ground. You'll see that, you know, it, it, it makes a gradually uh, higher pitch noise as the, the edges of the quarter contact the surface more rapidly, right? Yeah. Anyway, so this is just a couple of things exhibiting that kind of effect in extreme ways. So one of them is something called an Euler's disc, and which it's is just, essentially just a super well-polished quarter on a super well-polished surface, right? Yeah, that's all it is. It's just polished to a mirror. And I think it's pretty heavy, right? So it has a lot of momentum. And I guess we'll just play you the sound. Yeah, maybe we won't play all minute and 32 seconds. We'll just seconds play the end of it. We'll, we'll skip towards... Well, let's play the beginning and then skip a bit and then all right. skip again. So here we go. So oh, it's wait, going we pretty it fast without... around... No, we're good. So here it's spinning all around the plate. Getting a little bit faster, as you can hear. So this isn't sped up, we should add. This is, this is the actual noise it's making. Yeah, we'll link this on YouTube. They're both just polished to a mirror finish, so it goes crazy. All right, so let's skip ahead a little bit. 
So now it's going really nuts. And a little bit more. Oh, look at the waveform. It's crazy. Yeah, it looks neat. My favorite is the end. I know. It, I really it goes think from like the fastest high frequency possible to nothing. If we ever make a movie that needs like a teleporter, yeah, we just need to buy a couple of those and a microphone. Well, I mean, that's I think that's why the other video that we were going to play supposedly wants you to. So the other video was a similar thing, a similar phenomenon, kind of or an analogous phenomenon of banging two jars together. Well, this one's more Zeno's paradoxy, right? So oh. when the jars are far apart, it's like. They bounce back pretty far, and then they hit again. Right, and like anything, and then each time they. I'm trying to think of any like like I'm trying to think of something that you do that has this. It's like a, it's a damp oscillation. Right, so it bounces back a little bit less far each time. It's like one of those. You ever have the little paddle with the ball and the rubber band as a kid? Yeah, it's just like that, right? Except if you didn't jerk your arm. Right, but it but it gets shorter on every. So you knock two jars together, and they clank together, and you know, kind of bounce out and clank again and bounce and clank. And but, each, but each clank. Is smaller a little bit because of right. friction and right. So it comes; they come a little bit faster over and over again. Inelastic and an inelastic collision, right? Right, I think. So anyway, so there's a video of this on the internet. They claim they want money for licensing the sound, but Krauss is going to attempt to reproduce it right here in person. Attention, lawyers! I am using a Grandessa brand spinach and cheese Italian sauce and a Prego sauce jar. Excellent. So I'd be happy go. to produce the jars for you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Wait. How did I do it last time? Yeah, both in the same hand. So there are the jars. No, that's not it. I, th I think because there's like two contact points. Maybe if I just hold one jar. No, they both have to be free, huh? Yeah, Why don't yeah. Do they? Uh, maybe you used two hands before. How did I do this before? <laughs> no! I, I did it effortlessly on the first try. Maybe back up a little bit. That's going to be obnoxious. It's weird. You can see the dampening. Look. Yeah. So it was, it was like this, but a lot more prolonged and cool sounding. Let's try it again. Maybe I... How did I do it? You want to try it? Yeah, let me try. I think I did it like that, though. I thought maybe they were doing it with two hands, like... Yeah, that's exactly it. Here, you can... That's actually the same as the Euler noise. Yeah, they just managed to do it a little bit. I think you're... All right, yay. Oh, that's really cool. It like... looks, yeah, it looks really cool on the waveforms. If your audio player lets you see the waveform, check it out. All right. Well, I think that's it. That's, so that's, I think, our best uh, experiment replication success we might have ever had. Take that replication, people. Do we pre-register our jars? Oh, we should. Damn, we can do it again. No, it doesn't count then. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Um, we have a variety of ways for you to keep in touch with our exploits. Yes, we are on Facebook. Just search for the name of the podcast, Super Science Happy Hour with Matt and Matt. We are on Twitter at SSHAPHO, S-S-H-A-P-H-O on Twitter. We are. We have email. We have email. Super Science Happy Hour at gmail.com. That's all run together. And we also have a WordPress blog where we'll post links to things we've talked about and other things we think are cool. 
as well as a picture of our Canadian donuts. And mostly apologies at how slowly we're updating. That's a common thing on the on the website. It's fitting you apologize while you're in Canada. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry in advance that this episode's not going to come out too soon. Oh, don't you uh, know? Oh, yeah. We're a couple of hosers. We should have just done this whole thing in a Canadian accent, eh? Oh, yeah. Well, we really did enjoy our Timbits. We hope you uh, follow us on Facebook, eh? And uh, you can also check us out on YouTube if you like. You know, we, uh, we, we have are. a couple of episodes up on YouTube, but we're sorry. We haven't gotten them all up there yet. It's true. All right. Well, uh... Cool. Thanks for joining us. Actually, we're in French Canada, so we should have been saying this all in French. Oh, God. Well, we can say... We get to the whole show in French now. We can say... Bonjour et bienvenue, Alain. No, no, no. Let's uh, let's skip right ahead to au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. I I don't know why we're waiting. Yeah, we're out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are you stopping it? I'm stopping it. Are you saving it? I'm saving it. I think I will stop. Check. Checking, checking. One, two, three. Four. Sank. One Cease. and two and, and three, three and, and four. four. Check out that synchrony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do it.